This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. On today's show, we are delighted to have psychotherapist and social and environmental activist, Ruth Rosenheck. She is coming all the way from Australia, and we are so excited to talk with her. Also thrilled to have on today, Juno Award-winning singer-songwriter and pianist, Lila Bialy. And we will be talking and she will be singing two songs for us on the show. But first, let me introduce you to our first guest, Ruth Rosenheck. I'm so delighted to welcome my guest, Ruth Rosenheck, to the program. Ruth Rosenheck, who is coming to us all the way from Australia, works as a psychotherapist with issues related to trauma, anxiety, depression, life transitions, world grief, and work issues. Ruth has a long history as an activist for social justice and environmental issues, both as a campaigner and in direct action. She is a facilitator of eco-psychology and deep ecology workshops worldwide. Ruth is also passionate about self-sufficiency, growing food, and living in community. About 25 years ago, her only possessions were, and I quote, a musical keyboard, laptop computer, one book, and minimum apparel in a backpack, two pairs of pants, two t-shirts, two pairs of shorts, and a toothbrush. Ruth is also a very dear childhood friend who I grew up with in Montreal. Ruth, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much, Judy. It's a pleasure to be here. Ruth, in 1997, you sold your car and wrote letters to all of the financial institutions which held your graduate student loans to request that repayment be deferred until such time as the Earth's ecological and social crises were resolved. You hit the road to join Australian international rainforest activist John Seed, who you toured the U.S. with in a rainforest benefit tour, inspiring people with music and deep ecological workshops. Can you take us back to that time? Sure, Judy. Um, what happened was that I was working with uh, a women's health center and doing some community social justice type of work, and I became aware of what was happening to the environment um, worldwide. I came to believe and later know that we were heading into a mass extinction spasm that would see you know wildlife numbers diminishing and forests going. And in my own backyard, I remember seeing deer where there shouldn't have been deer. I was living in Maine. And when, the, when deer came into the backyard and they'd never been there before, I started to investigate. And it was because of uh, development that was happening that was raising much of the forests around our area. So I became quite sad about this and had a lot of grief. And I left my jobs actually in the first instance um, and thought I would just sit with it and reflect on, you know, how could I possibly start working instead to save the forests and save habitat? And that's when I met John Seed, who, you know, miraculously was a worldwide 
rainforest activist. And we went not only to the U.S., we ended up touring the next few years, really. We went to many places, uh, Western Europe and Eastern Europe and in Asia and uh, South Africa. And, you know, it was kind of like trying to build a movement, build awareness um, and help support people who felt similarly. Because when you first wake up to this, it can be quite devastating to realize what's happening. And I think that's what's happening now is that some, what is it, 23 years later, I guess, many people you know, are realizing that the earth is in trouble as far as the health of our ecosystems. Absolutely. At age 30, you then experienced what might be called a spiritual transformation. And subsequently, you visited Buddhist monasteries in Nepal, again, returning to the U.S. to work with an AIDS service organization in New Hampshire. And then throughout the 90s, you worked in the grassroots social justice movement, but constantly gravitated to the millions of other species that we cohabit in this world with. And you wrote that a Zen master and global spiritual leader, Thich Nhat Han, says, the most important thing we can do as humans is to hear inside ourselves the sounds of the earth crying. And you've done many campaigns to say yes to the earth. And this has really become a lifelong pursuit for you. How has this manifested itself? Yeah, so you, you, you take me back even further for a minute when I was a passionate AIDS activist and then uh, kind of a women's health activist and uh, and that sort of a thing. And I got into this quandary about, well, if we work with people and work on, you know, helping people to be more well in their lives, but what about the planet? You know, if there's no green planet, then what's the point of working with people? And I've, I've come full circle with that now as, as, uh, as a psychotherapist in my current life with an understanding that we need to do all of it. You know, we need to work environmentally and we also need to work uh, socially and that they're both really interconnected, you know, to work on social justice and uh, environmental justice. And so, yeah, for years I worked as a forest activist, uh, <laughs> was very excited to uh, arrive in Australia and find that there were so many forests that needed protecting. And then we had some good success here of protecting uh, thousands of hectares of forests. Um, I did a few years of uh, anti-gold mining campaigns, uh, which was very difficult um, and so the forest was kind of a relief, a relief from that to go back to the forest. And then I really kind of burned out of it for a while. I, I didn't have the energy for it for a while. Curiously, about, well, about five or six years ago, uh, we had a very well-known, in Australia, it's known nationwide, a campaign at a place called Bentley to stop CSG, uh, fracking, uh, coal seam gas fracking. Um, and we were successful there to stop a local project from coming our way. And thousands of people in our region came out to that protest. So we're a small, you know, we're a regional area of New South Wales, and that's a huge number of people. And so that was kind of, I started to become active again then. Uh, last year became super activated with uh, Extinction Rebellion and climate emergency. So many people think about these things and they talk about these things, but you have been driven relentlessly to actually make a difference about these things. What do you think has driven you so relentlessly where, where other people might just talk about it? I guess I could say two things about that. I have a deep connection to nature and I feel pain when I hear about and see places that are you know, devastated by what I consider to be unnecessary 
you know, unsustainable, unnecessary actions. And the other thing, Judy, to be honest, is just more, you know, on a really personal level is that it's important for me to have meaning in my life. I'm a lot happier as a person when I have meaning and I feel like I make sense of being alive at this time by being in service to, you know, the Buddhists would call it end all suffering, you know, to seize all suffering. Now, I know we're not going to end all suffering. It seems to be implicit in the human condition and so forth. But if in my daily life, I feel a a calling towards um, helping to ease suffering or soothe it or change the course of future suffering for the young ones who are coming next, or yeah, or uh, protect nature, the ones who don't have a voice, well, that, you know, at the end of the day, that just makes me feel good when I go to sleep at the end of the day that I that I did something along those lines. And I'm imagining that that will make me feel a bit more um, relaxed when it comes for my time uh, to pass away, to die, basically, that that, you know, maybe it won't mean anything, but I, I have an imagining that, you know, if I were to look at my great, great grandchildren and could say, this is what I did with my life. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey towards coming back to this psychotherapy idea that you had from the very beginning and the beautiful psychotherapy practice that you have created? Um, I was always on the psychotherapy path, but then my concern for the environment kind of led me in a different direction because I had this thought that it was kind of either or. And um, at a certain point in time, I realized it was both, which gave me permission to come back to Hmm. something I'd actually wanted to do from the time I knew you, Judy, as a child. (laughs) I always wanted to be, I thought I would be a psychiatrist, you know, and I, or I thought I remember reading um, Dibs in Search of Self about a young autistic boy, and I thought I would work with uh, children such as that in my life. But, you know, again, on a real personal level, I hit a time where I uh, was suffering from depression and um, having some problems with uh, with various habits, basically, and I wanted to uh, heal myself. And in healing myself, I joined Lifeline, which is the uh, suicide crisis center here in Australia, and they had a great program, and I ended up uh, kind of thriving um, on the phones and ended up supervising people who, who, um, answer those crisis calls. And one thing led to another, I went back to school and ended up, uh, in a private practice. Like you say, it was something I had really dreamed about. It's an honor on my end to work with people who are willing to be, you know, vulnerable, uh, in my presence and to work together. And once again, <laughs> I want my listeners to hear that. That's uh, said by this very humble, incredible human being on this planet. I know, Ruth, you're also helping many people cope with this new reality we all find ourselves during this pandemic. What is your personal take on COVID-19 and how it's really flipped our world upside down? Well, it certainly has flipped our world upside down. I, I always thought it would be the uh, climate emergency that would first flip our world up you know, upside down. And it has for, you know, we need to remember that um, for many people who are not as fortunate as I am or as you are, Judy, that um, they've been suffering the injustices of, you know, as a result of environmental problems, as well as living in uh, much less privileged um, areas than I do with, you know, wars and famines and this sort of thing. And I just wanted to pay 
you know, pay my respects. And while I'm at it, I'd like to pay my respects. This is something we like to do here in Australia, but I just like to pay my respects to the Gittable people on whose land I'm talking to you right now. That's the Aboriginal people who have been here and to, to their um, elders of the past, present, and future. Um, so that's kind of the context that we work with here in Australia is understanding that more worldwide context. So uh, coming back to uh, the pandemic, um, look, I see it as a, as a symptom of the same things we've been discussing, you know, the fundamental disconnection between humans and the earth, the way humans see ourselves as something outside of it. You know, looking at it, it's interesting because there's a variety of responses to this. And one of the things I'll say that I think is, uh, has struck me was that during this time is that worldwide we're all working on one thing at one time right now. We're all, you know, we're all working on minimizing the spread of, of the virus and staying healthy. And that gives me a glimmer of possibility that if uh, the climate emergency got the same um, amount of attention and was to be addressed globally, that this is the kind of thing that we could do that could be actually thought through quite, a, quite well, and it could be taken underhand, and we could work together as a global community to, to change our ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're also a big proponent of meditation. I'm a, I'm a lover of meditation. And you actually recommended to me, Ruth, the um, Serenity app, which which I think hails from Australia, and it's helped a lot of people. And I've actually mentioned it quite a few times on the program. Can you speak a little bit to me about meditation, your own personal feelings about it, and and you know how you build this into your practice with your with your clients? Sure. Um, so I will be very frank here and say I don't have like these uh, sort of standard sitting meditation practice. Um, you could call it more of a fluid mindfulness practice, um, which is quite suitable hmm. to the way I live, which has to do more with staying mindful, um, whether I'm gardening or cleaning or painting or talking to you right now. And a lot of that means that I'm kind of, uh, I use the breath a lot. Again, this is with clients as well. So bringing our focus back to the breath. I'm doing that now. I'm back, back to the pocket. <laughs> Let's back all to take in a deep breath. Yeah, to take a breath right <sighs> now. We forget to yeah. breathe, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, we forget to bring our awareness to our breath, and, and then we end up breathing up higher in our, our chest, which makes us more anxious because that's where our ancient fight-flight type of breathing comes from. And instead, if we can breathe from uh, deep in the belly, I just invite you to do that now too. So we breathe from the belly. And uh, it's much more uh, relaxing for us. It tells us that we're safe. Um, so so my, my practice sort of brings together healing and mindfulness in the body uh, together in as many moments of the day as possible, you know. So it might just mean pausing for a moment or could be while I'm watching, washing the dishes or something. But uh, I, f I find that maybe having a little mantra can help, like, uh, you mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh earlier. He has one that goes um, on the in-breath, you go calm, smiling on the out-breath, present moment on the in-breath, wonderful moment on the out-breath. Oh, I love that. Could you repeat that one more time? That's gorgeous. So calm, 
smiling, present moment, wonderful moment. I love that. In these changing times, you are now set up for telephone and online video sessions. And you say to your surprise that these video sessions can be as deep and as beautiful as face-to-face sessions. How so? Yeah, that's right. I thought I thought I was doomed, you know, that that there was no there was no way I could do uh, trauma healing on a on a Zoom video session where we're not in the same room because I guess I've just believed that the energy in the room is really what fundamentally does the healing, but it, it turns out that it's really quite intimate to sit and look at a screen with somebody looking right back mm. at you. You know, in the room, there's all these other things there. And on the screen, we're looking right at each other. You can't quite make eye contact, which is a limitation, but you're looking right at each other. And um, to, to illustrate how, how that's working, I'll share anonymously, of course, but from a client recently who wanted to, a new client wanted to see me face to face, but we we met online and at the end of the session, I checked in with her about, so how was that, you know, compared to what you were hoping for from face to face? And she said, it was wonderful. Um, I don't normally cry in front of people and I was able to cry. Uh, I was able to sit in my own chair, which made me feel safe. And I could look out the window and see a tree outside, you know, in my own backyard. So I'm feeling quite positive about uh, online uh, therapy, it's working very well, and I'm starting to develop the best, you know, best practice ways to work with it. That's incredible. I love that. I know that you love to use metaphors in your work. What is an example of a metaphor to create positive change? Yeah, one of the metaphors that I like to think about when I'm making change, such as right now, is of the uh, trapeze a performance artist. You know, when they go from one bar to the next bar, if they're crossing from, you know, moving from one bar to the next bar, there comes a point where you need to let go of that other bar and fly through the air without any bars until you reach the next bar that you're going to. And that takes trust. And, um, and if, if when we are trying to let go, or if when we let go, we're looking back and thinking, was that the right decision? Uh uh-oh, I'm not sure I wanted to do that, then we're much more likely to fall flat on our face than if we make the decision to make this change and then we let go and we put our set our eyes and our mind on where we're going next. There's the sense of a magnet drawing us forward. Sometimes the decisions don't even totally make sense or they don't they're not this they're not the uh, easiest decision for us to make, but we just know that this is what I need to do next. Once we know that's the decision, then just to really allow our energy to be pulled forwards while we let go of what we need to let go of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is kind of what happened to you, I think, when you made the decision to change the course of your life, right? You were a young girl and you felt propelled by this magnet to go and really help save the, save the planet and save the earth. And, and that was the, that was such a huge, um, energy that, that you just, you followed that energy and it's, it's quite incredible. What is bliss for Ruth Rosenheck right now? (laughs) Well, I've talked enough about my love of the garden, but that, that one, (laughs) that's one of them. (laughs) 
I have about I've grown about forty pumpkins this year, and um, <laughs> I'm able to give, I'm able to give them away to we we eat pumpkin here, Jap pumpkins. They're delicious, and um, I'm able to give them away to people, which is great. Um, I get to put the fire on at, at in the evenings because it's getting cold here. I like to hand drum, uh, like on a djembe mm. drum, and I can spend hours doing that. Um, you know, truly, my bliss is in the small moments of connection, whether it's connection with nature, connection with myself through doing, you know, that kind of thing of drumming or uh, the fire or the garden, or connection with another person, you know, those beautiful moments with a, a friend or a partner, you know, all of, all of that for me is bliss. It's not really the large, larger picture. It's, it's a small moment of being present and having an intimate, an intimate moment Mm. Or sometimes it's after the fact where I realize mm. I've painted for the last five hours and I didn't, you know, the time just flew by. Yeah, just was completely present to that task without even thinking about it at all. That's so wonderful that you that you you can find that, that those little bits of bliss in so many parts of your life. I mean, it's and what a wonderful role model you are for your clients to be able to find their own bliss and their own happiness. How can people get in touch with you, Ruth, in these times for psychotherapy and on social media to read your comforting and uplifting posts and also, of course, to book you as a psychotherapist? I think the best way um, right now would be through my Facebook page. There's a Ruth Rosenheck psychotherapy, psychotherapist page. So if someone just put my name in and psychotherapists, they would find that page and they can message me. I also wanted to say Ruth Rosenheck, I'm going to spell it for the listeners, Ruth Rosenheck on Facebook. It's R-U-T-H Rosenheck, R-O-S. E-N-H-E-K. Ruth, it's been such an honor and a pleasure to have you on this program. You truly are making the world a better place. And you're really the definition of bliss to me. Like you're, I think you've found it. I think you've worked at it. And I think you're in great service to others. And I think that when we're in great service to others, utilizing all of our own unique gifts and talents and capabilities to make the world a better place, we can't help but be happy as a byproduct of from all of that, not to mention making others so happy. And I think you do that. You've certainly made me happy. And I think you're making our listeners feel very hopeful and very blissful. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Judy. It was such a pleasure to chat with you today. And yeah, I hope I hope that it does um, bring either some insights or some support to some of your some of your listeners at this time. Stay safe and be healthy and be well, Ruth. Wonderful to speak to you. Thank you. You too. Stay safe and be well to you and your family and your friends. Same to you, dear. We are going to go on a short commercial break right now. When we come back, we will be joined by Juno award-winning singer, Lila Bialy. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we are joined now by Juno Award-winning singer, songwriter, and a very lovely person, Lila Bialy. Lila Bialy is a multi-award-winning Canadian singer-songwriter, pianist, and CBC Music National Radio host, who has headlined festivals and venues spanning five continents, from New York City's Carnegie Hall to Beijing's National Center for the Performing Arts. She has also supported international icon Sting in 2019. Lila's eponymous release won her a Juno Canada's Grammy for Vocal Jazz Album of the Year. The year before that, she was awarded top prize at the Canadian Songwriting Competition in the jazz category. Lila was also the youngest ever double winner at Canada's National Jazz Awards when she was named SOCAN Composer of the Year and Keyboardist of the Year. She received her first Juno nomination for Tracing Light in 2011. In September of 2017, Lila was brought on as the host for CBC Music's national radio show, Saturday Night Jazz, a weekly show broadcast to listeners all across Canada. Lila's highly anticipated album, Out of Dust, which features multiple Grammy nominees and winners, including Lisa Fisher, Alan Ferber, John Ellis, and Larnell Lewis. And that was just released this spring and is available everywhere. Welcome, Lila Bialy, to Finding Your Bliss. The critics have been raving about your newest album, Out of Dust, and the reviews have been phenomenal. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Judy. I'm thrilled to be here. It's so great to have you. As I mentioned, the critics have been going uh, crazy for this, and Parade Magazine described your album as exuberant, funky goodness with gorgeously lush vocals. Was it a conscious decision to bring out your album right now, even though we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, it was and it wasn't. So we had set March 27th for our release date long ago because I I have a few different team players involved on the release side of things um, in Europe, in North America, Japan, etc. So we had to get everybody onto the same page And then, you know, the world as we knew it completely changed uh, in early March. It was actually the day before um, the Juno Awards in uh, here in Canada. I was supposed to get on a a plane to host the Juno Jazz Showcase. And uh, someone from CBC Music called me and said, don't get on that plane. And that was when everything shifted. I was cautioned against releasing the album as planned and and advised to wait until the fall. But Judy, I just felt that given the focus of the album, which is really um, coming through dark times, Mm. it just felt, it felt like it was actually in some ways the perfect time to release it. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Because I, I felt like it had the potential to comfort people and to meet them where they were at. Um, you know, in the midst of lockdown. Yes. And so I forged ahead and I think it's, it's, was the right decision. 
Absolutely. It's sort of like the light and the darkness. And this is the time that people need music more than ever. And I keep hearing about your album and it's so wonderful because it's almost like it stands out because you're, you're sort of um, working through this difficult time and it's amazing. So congratulations on it. It's wonderful and good for you for forging ahead, even in these uh, very unprecedented times. And I, I sort of relate to everything you've done because I had a similar experience. We had finished 26 episodes of season one of our show and everyone said well maybe just come back with season two in September and I realized that no I'm gonna create a makeshift home recording studio produce the show here figure out how to do it and I was quite a technophobe so it was quite a challenge and what's it been like for you now that it's happened what's what's the sort of the the reaction been well, I just want to say that I am amazed that you, you know, similarly have uh, faced your tech phobeness, <laughs> your tech phobia, <laughs> you know, in order to bring people the content that you, you believe will help them um, in this time. I think that's awesome. I too am a bit tech averse. And so, you know, what that has looked like for us. Um, obviously we were able to, to share the album via digital platforms, the music itself, but then how do you support that album, you know, in lieu of touring the world for five months, which is what we were supposed to do. So instead, you know, we've been live streaming from our living room. Uh, my husband and I, the two of us who co-produced the album, but you know, we had rarely performed just just the two of us together. I mean, we've always had a bassist in the mix, you know, and often other people as well. So that was new for us, but very rewarding, tough as it was. And then we also started a quarantunes series where we were taking, asking everybody who'd participated on the album to film themselves performing uh, a song off the album to click or to a um, metronome. And then my husband would, would sort of splice it all together and we would have this sort of live from our living rooms take of songs from the record. So we had to get really creative and people ha I think have been appreciating um, how artists are using technology to continue to bring content into the world and share and disseminate it. And the response has been, has been good. I mean, I will be completely honest with you, Judy. I, I have had so many moments of sheer exhaustion where I turn to my husband and I say, this is more difficult than like, take flying every day and playing a show that night in a different city. People just assume, Oh, you're home. It's so much easier. It's a break, but because, because of the newness of it and all the technology we've had to wrestle with, and you don't get that immediate feedback from a live audience, which is so life-giving, right? So it hasn't been without its challenges, but by and large, we're, we really, we feel like we've made the best of it and, and people have been, so supportive. And there is such reward in knowing that, you know, it's impacting other people's lives. That's why we do what we do, right? Of course, of course. No, it's, it's so great what you're doing. And I should also just tell our listeners that your husband is the drummer, Ben Whitman. And uh, so I'm going to ask you now, how did you guys meet? And, <laughs> and what a wonderful thing to be married to, to someone who you can also share your love of music with and creation of music with. Oh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's worked out <laughs> well for us. It doesn't work out well for everybody. I know some musicians who ended up together and famously lived in different residences because they just couldn't stand to be so, <laughs> so close to one another day. <laughs> but we work well um, on and off stage, so to speak. We met in 2007 in New York City 
in Paula Cole's band. Do you remember Paula Cole? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to wait. That was her big hit, right? And and she was she was famous when I was still in high school. My husband's a couple decades older than I am, actually. So he was one of her peers. They went to school in Boston, um, not together. They went to different schools, but they met then because they were both college kids. And she was resurrecting her career in 2007, and I was asked to, to join the band as pianist and background singer. And that was where I met Ben at Euphoria Studios, oh. appropriately named, <laughs> in, in, right in the heart of New York City in the Garment District wow. studio. And we actually just had our 10-year anniversary in December, and we stayed in a hotel that was right around the corner from Euphoria. And we went back there, and we took a photo with our you know, now nine-year-old son in tow. And it was just really, really sweet. So yeah, that's, that's how we met. That's so romantic. Oh, I love that story. That's fantastic. (laughs) And I know that you've been homeschooling your kids. We have to feel for parents of younger children who are trying to do their careers and do it all from their homes and get groceries and run the household. And at the same time, homeschool your kids. You wrote a song with your son called Take the Day Off. What was the inspiration for this? And when did you realize that your son had musical talent? Gosh, those are all great questions. So Josh (laughs) showed signs of artistic inclination from a very young age. He loved to sing. He loved to move. He just has always been a dancer. And Ben and I were Mm -hmm. very hands-off. We, I think we're reluctant to push him because we're both musicians by trade and we were worried that we would be kind of imposing our own world on our son rather than letting him come to it on his own. And so we were almost two hands off, but finally, you know, when he was about three, four, you know, there's obviously a piano in the home and many percussion instruments. He was gravitating towards them and he would start plinking away. I have a hilarious video where he's sitting in my lap at the piano and he's playing. And then I go to play with him and he just pushes my hands aside. Mom, let me play. You know, it's hilarious. And, uh, we enrolled him in formal piano lessons when, after we'd moved to, to Toronto from New York. Um, and that was uh, a few years ago. And he's taken a real shine to music. He now goes to an art school, Claude Watson School for the Arts. Wow. And um, yeah, and so with Take the Day Off, uh, we were all in our living room. We live in a very small bungalow. And so we're kind of piled up on top of each other. And Saturday mornings when we're all home have been really blissful Mm. where we're all in our own space, like together in the room, but everybody's doing kind of their own thing, just enjoying the togetherness, togetherness without actually interacting. Mm -hmm. And so hubby's reading the news. I'm curled up, you know, with a cup of tea doing my thing. And then Josh, who of course has an instrument within arm's reach, it was a percussion instrument called the tongue drum. It's this beautiful instrument from Africa that Ben acquired at some point in his travels. And it's sitting there and Josh grabs it and he grabs a mallet and he just starts cycling around the instrument, playing this beautiful melody. So of course, you know, 21st century mom, I grab my phone <laughs> and I, 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 you know, film him doing this because it sounds so beautiful and it's this really sweet moment in time. And then weeks later, when I was working on material for Out of Dust, that song popped up for me, that melody. And I thought, you know, I could write a song over that ostinato, that tongue drum ostinato. And that's how it all came together. 
Oh, I and, love that. Uh, I love yeah, he, that. Performs, he performs it with us. He performed it with us on the live stream. And oh, uh, he's that's, totally game. <laughs> that's so cool. He must have loved that. That's, that's really awesome. We're going to have a listen to Take the Day Off, which is the song that you wrote with your nine-year-old son, Josh. Let's have a listen. When the winter bully spring Take the day off When you have no offering Take the day off When you awake with nothing to give Take the day off When you're in need of a reason to live Take the day off Pull the sheets over your head No need to get out of bed The world won't leave you behind So unwind gosh, I love that. Oh, that's so gorgeous. Congratulations on that song and congratulations to Josh. Oh, really yeah. beautiful. Oh, wow. thank you. I, I kept it, you know, it's intentionally a little bit naive and childlike, you know, it's not this, so many of the songs that I write and arrangements that I write as a jazz musician are very dense harmonically. And this is the exact opposite. It's in the key of C, the happiest key in the world. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it's very, very simplistic and is meant to almost be like a children's song with this simple message just to take time off when you need it. I'm a workaholic. I don't know about you, Judy, but I'm someone who's <laughs> perpetually in motion it has taken my son and to some degree lockdown to, to just pause, take a breath, take the day off and reset. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Your, your parents noticed at age three. So like your son, it's interesting that you tried to play the Sesame Street theme song on the family <laughs> piano. And then your mother realized that you had a talent in this area and enrolled you too at a very young age in piano lessons. Can you tell us more about your early love affair with music? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I actually don't have that many keen memories from my childhood, but the ones that I do are are almost entirely musical in nature. You know, I will never forget the feeling I would experience when I was listening to the great classical concert pianists. So classical music was really my first love. And my mom would play CBC Radio 2 at that time, kind of all day. She was a housewife and, and raising four very precocious and active daughters. And I think she had that streaming in the background just to kind of help ground her, right? And so I was hearing music all the time. And it just, I can't even describe the feeling it gave me. It was like how someone might feel when they're flying, you know, just a, like a spiritual soaring. And I wanted to be able to create that feeling for others. So when I started playing piano, you know, obviously my skills were limited, especially when I started off, but I would listen to these advanced concert pianists and imagine myself 
you know, being able to play these ambitious songs, you know, regaling thousands of listeners. But, 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 you know, and of course there was a little bit of ego wrapped in that vision, but, but really it was about delighting people and connecting with people. And that was what my little soul, even at that age, just Mm. longed to do. And that hasn't changed. That's still what motivates me as a musician. You're such, you're such a beautiful bliss person because that's exactly <laughs> what I tell people, honestly, as a life coach is what is that thing that you do that is your passion, your purpose, your calling, and usually you know it at a very young age and how wonderful that you knew it and you listened because we we as the world get to benefit from it and, and be in, oh. in our joy and our bliss listening to you. So it's, it's fantastic. You're from Vancouver, Lila. You live in Toronto, but the album that you won the Juno Award for was written and produced in New York and inspired by your time in New York. What was it like living in New York at that very exciting time in your career? I, as you mentioned, grew up in in Vancouver and then lived in Toronto, and I have deep love for both cities, deep, deep, deep love. But when I moved to New York, I was like, these are my people. Where, where have these people been my whole life? You know? There was a passion and a drivenness and a, and a grittiness that I really identified with in my fellow New Yorkers. Um, however, it also, though, meant that I would push myself to my detriment and the detriment of my family. And so while it was heady and wonderful to make, you know, um, uh, the, the, the self-titled album, Lila Bialy, um, a lot of that was, was recorded in New York city. Um, it, it was also, you know, kind of challenging just, just by virtue of the fact that New York is such a demanding place, <clears throat> but it's also, it really is, you know, that city of dreams because for the first time in my life, you know, um, I would step outside our door. We were living in Brooklyn and you'd go to the local co- coffee shop and just the people you'd bump into on the way, on the street corner, in the car, co- you know, people who I hugely admire. Um, Bashiri uh, Johnson lived just down the block from us. He toured with Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. And he's now a friend of the family, right? I mean, this is, <laughs> this is not yeah. an uncommon experience for musicians living in New York City because we're just all piled up on top of one another. And, um, I think by virtue of proximity, you end up getting to know these people. So that was very exciting. And that's also how I was able to, you know, get a couple folks who I hugely admire involved on the record is because they were, they were there. They're my peers and, you know, my part of my New York family. So, um, so I'm very grateful. Yeah. Very grateful for that chapter. Your, your self-titled album, Lila Bialy, released in 2018, which has some of your favorites from classic to pop, uh, actually won a Juno Award. What was that like, accepting a Juno Award for your album, Lila Bialy? Like, that's, that's the greatest. It was a shock. Uh, it, I have a, just a very briefly um, to illustrate how much I did not expect to win. So, I didn't expect to be nominated just because my, my music, you know, as your listeners have heard, um, it's not strictly jazz. It's, it kind of crosses over into other genres. And so, you know, as an artist who feels a little bit like I'm in the cracks, you know, I just didn't even expect to get nominated. And I was nominated alongside Diana Krall with Tony Bennett, um, Holly Cole, Diana Panton, um, and then Jody Prosnick, who's a friend of mine, and I actually sang on her record. So I was actually nominated twice in the same category, which was bizarre. But um, 
when the awards arrived, the awards day, I didn't even write a thank you speech because I was certain, certain I would not get chosen. And oh, I, was really? sitting, I was sitting in that huge gala, gala hall next to Jody, And I turned to her and her publicist, publicist and I said, I haven't written anything. And they said, yeah, you might want to. <laughs> our category was eighth. And, and Michael Buble was on stage giving a big tribute to David Foster for the Humanitarian Award. <laughs> and it was at that moment, you know, I'm half listening and kind of half panicking. Gosh, I better scroll out something. <laughs> so I typed out a, you know, a, a, just a few thoughts on my iPhone. And then when they called my name, I was so stunned. I left my iPhone at the table <laughs> and then went up to the podium and just had to wing it. But honestly, I, I was just, just shocked. And it is obviously to this day, one of the great career milestones for me, such a beautiful nod from the industry and one that really affirms this space that I, you know, create music in that kind of straddles a few different genres, but still has found a home within jazz, which was very encouraging for me. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. It was very well deserved. The theme, your album is a highly personal one out of dust, exploring the theme of healing and overcoming hardship, which is so apropos for right now in this world. You dedicated it to your best friend, Wendy, who passed away last summer. And I'm so sorry about your loss of your beloved friend. Can you tell me a little bit more about um, the album and what people can look forward to when they listen? Yeah, yeah. So the songs were written during a time of great hardship, but because I'm someone who's fundamentally always searching for the silver lining or the light at the end of the tunnel, to use those cliches, um, I think the sound of the album is fundamentally hopeful, and uh, and I and my my goal is is to write music and share music that speaks to the human experience in all its, you know, the, just the full spectrum of emotions and experiences as much as I can authentically. Um, but, but to, to always allow and invite hope to have the final say. So, so there's always, I think even, even in some of the harder songs, there's always a thread of hope and a thread of joy that I really hope will be uplifting to people. Oh, I love that. You really are a bliss person. What What is bliss for Lila Morelli? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, gosh, it's, it's, it's a sweeping generalizations to, generalization to say life is bliss, but I do think that life is a gift and the people we know and love, whether it's family or friends or our colleagues, you know, they are a gift. And I think, um, getting to do this journey we call life side by side, you know, whether we're physically linking arms or linking arms virtually um, is a huge gift. And that is where I find my bliss. Mm. Well, we are the lucky recipients of all of that. And we thank you. We're going to go on a short break. When we come back, more with Lila Bialy, who is not only our esteemed guest today, but is also our featured artist of the week. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And today we are joined by our esteemed featured artist of the week, Juno Award-winning singer-songwriter Lila Bialy. And we're about to listen to your Juno Award-winning album, Lila Bialy, from 2018. And we're going to play a song from the album called Got to Love. Can you tell us a little bit more about the song, uh, Lila? Yes, I can. And actually, I will, I will say that there is a bit of a tie-in now with what's going on in the world um, in terms of the fight, the ongoing fight for equality um, across race, across gender, across socioeconomic divides. Um, I wrote this song right around the time that my husband and I had moved to Prospect Heights in Brooklyn. And while that neighborhood has since been quite profoundly gentrified, when we moved there, it was kind of the wrong side of the tracks. We had been living in Park Slope. You know, when my husband was living there 20, 25 years ago, there were still gangs on the streets and that sort of thing. It was, it was really a profound shift in the time that he was there. But um, over the years, it had become one of the most desirable brownstone neighborhoods in which to live in Brooklyn and very, very family friendly. And, you know, to some degree, that meant that we as freelance musicians were priced out. So we had to find a new home and... And it was on the other side of the tracks in Prospect Heights. So we moved there and we loved being in this incredibly diverse neighborhood. But then, you know, go figure after a couple years, these sort of faceless property owners who owned a lot of these buildings, they were beginning to unlawfully evict tenants from their homes. And we're talking about people who had been in these buildings for generations, generations. And it was heartbreaking. You know, I remember walking into the building one day and this uh, woman, Josephine, was crying. And she showed me a letter, one of these very letters. And then this this other guy from within our building, Chuck, we, we've kind of called him the the mayor of the block you know he started to really look into tenant rights and started to inform people as to what their rights were and helping them fight that fight and that was really what inspired got to love and so it's this message of you got to love your brother you got to love your sister you got to love your neighbor um but you know inspired by this very real circumstance we were in and also observing um and and really hoping that something good would come out of this kind of backlash against um you know what these property managers were doing which was really not okay you know what i mean it just really was the, the the lives hung in the balance, you know, and and so uh, we we really wanted to see um, a good outcome, and it was beautiful to see people banding together to fight for um, what they believed was right. Oh, I love that. Well, let's without further ado have a listen to Got to Love. Hey now, now what you say? What you say to love your brother? Hey now, what you say? What you say to love your sister? Hey now, what you say? What you say? You front stoop teacher? Gotta love, gotta love, gotta love, gotta love, gotta love, gotta love. All this time 
Great line. Right on. <laughs> it's so feel good and so happy and so fantastic. I want to thank you so much. I have to have you back again because I'm going to tell you honestly, I have another two pages of questions oh. and there's so many things I want to ask you about. So I hope you'll join us again sometime because this was truly wonderful. What is the best way for people to contact you and purchase your beautiful music? Oh, thank you, Judy. I, it's been an honor to speak with you, and I would be delighted and thrilled to meet with you, hopefully <laughs> in person, again before too long. Um, and yeah, in terms of where folks can find me, uh, kind of all the usual places. So the music is up on Spotify. Um, you can just search Lila Bialy or Out of Dust. Um, and uh, you'll find me there, you know, Apple music, iTunes, uh, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my website, you know, that's really where you'll find, um, everything in one place. I'm on socials, of course, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think I might be too young, too old rather for TikTok and Snapchat, but my son is, you know, <laughs> if he has his right brothers, I'll end, up on, I'll end up on those platforms at some point. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. And and for our listeners, it's um, Lila Bialy is spelled L-A-I-L-A Bialy, B-I-A-L-I. Lila, thank you so much for being here today and really for bringing us all um, into a place of bliss because that's what your music really does. And you're, you're a wonderful person as well. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I wish you guys all the best and uh, look forward to the next time. Same. Thank you. I would like to thank all of my guests for being here today, Ruth Rosenheck and Lila Bialy. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.